HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Gentlemen, we're all on the West Coast. I know. How did that even happen? <laughs> but but not in the same place. Not of course. We're still yeah. still still remote from one another. Uh, but we're we're peppering the West Coast. Uh, I'm in Vancouver. Greg, you're down in Seattle, and of course, Damon, you're up in the Marin area. So yeah. It's the first time we've all been on the same timeline for the show in a long yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my hell. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nine a.m. is rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, Greg's at his weekly wedding. Uh, it's true. And, and uh, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> In Vancouver. Well, you, you might first jump to the conclusion that I'm, uh, you know, scouting for opening another place, but I'm not. Right. <laughs> uh, well, at least, at least not at least not officially. Um, I am looking around though. Uh, no, I'm here visiting with uh, Natalie's parents, uh, and we've had a great time. We've been out muscling in uh, in the very frigid waters, uh, right off the coast of Cannon Beach, right next to Haystack Rock. I think, uh, Damon, you were saying the Goonies was filmed near. Yeah, there. the Goonies was filmed there um, in that town of Astoria, and of course, like Cannon Beach and Haystack Rock. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned scouting for bars because it's still on the table. Uh, my friend Lucas and I have been talking for a few years about opening a bar there in Astoria, Oregon. Um, Wait, that Lucas bridge from, freaks uh, me out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Lucas from uh, he, the, the barware Bull- company, right? Yeah, from Bull in China. And, Bull in uh, China, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're still talking about it. Um, we talk, we talk about a lot of stuff, though. <laughs> I mean, it's a quaint little town and it's uh, gorgeous and, uh, you know, the weather has held up really well for us. You know, it normally is kind of pissy rain, but uh, I, I think I'm one of the few people per year that gets a sunburn. I got a sunburn out here and uh, <laughs> we were out on the beach all day long. Like, I mean, from literally sun up until dusk uh, and, you know, we, it was beautiful. And that's why we, that's why we weren't going in. I don't really uh, see Southern Teague as a beach person. 
you know? I grew up on a beach. <laughs> I, I, picture, I can see it, but I can see him in one of those sort of like striped coverall things from like the, 19, the 1800s, you know? <laughs> yeah, like when I grew up on the beach. <laughs> yeah. um, we've been having a great time. Greg, why are you out on the West Coast? Because uh, because another one of my friends is getting married. Uh, this is actually for a, a bachelor party, and I'm with you. I'm also sunburned in Seattle, which I feel like I'm just walking around, and I feel like people are looking at me. And the fact that you know my my face has been nice and pink for the last couple of days, and they're like, "You're not from around here, are you, buddy?" Like <laughs> yeah. Saturday, it was a beautiful day, so we went for a, a float out on the Puget Sound. We rented this little boat that was shaped like a donut, powered by an outboard motor that I'm pretty sure had like the propulsive capability of, you know, a standard hairdryer um, <laughs> going a stunning, like half a mile an hour the entire time. But it was, you know, hanging out, seeing some sights on the water, getting some sun, drinking some beers and uh, visiting some, some cool bars up here, man. I uh, was out at Navy strength last night and popped over to Rob Roy, both of which were delightful. And then my update. Yeah. 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 Great, great, great spots. Um, couldn't give them more rave reviews. And then when my alarm went off at 8.15 this morning, my first thought was, you know, Jesus Christ, how how does Damon do this every week? <laughs> it's just like, this is, this, is, this is inhumane. So my hat is off to you more than usual, buddy. The, this, this, the West Coast is not for the faint of heart. Well, yeah. he's also not bachelor partying every night that he yeah exactly he exists. <laughs> this is true. Well, I'm, I, so the bachelor party was was part one. This is actually I'm out here doing a little bit of uh, research for another project that I don't that I, I I'm not super at liberty to talk about right now. I'm not opening a bar. Don't worry, I'm not stepping on your on your branding, Souther. But I was doing a little okay. bit of uh, Pacific Northwest <laughs> research and. Uh, some so getting getting a little business tipsy last night. So you know you work you work hard, you play hard. Listen, that's, that's right. all. That's that's all we all know. Uh, I think uh, uh, nobody knows that better than our guests in the studio in the virtual studio with us today, mm-hmm. uh, uh, working hard and playing hard. We got Kate Gerwin in with us from uh, Happy Accidents Bar. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here virtually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're so glad to have you on. Uh, first time you've been on the show, which shocks me. Actually, I asked you off the air. I thought I thought maybe you'd been on in the past before before I was on even, um, but it turns out you haven't. So. No. Way way overdue to have you on. You're such a character in our uh, in our in our sphere, and we want to hear about what what you've got going down there at Happy Accidents. So, um, tell us tell us a little bit about the bar. It's it's uh, not, is, it, is it is it even one year old yet? Uh, we hit one year uh, a couple weeks ago, May first. Um, okay. So we are officially a year. Um, very proud, very happy to to make that milestone and kind of. Um, when I first opened, I kept our concept a little under wraps. Um, I wanted to make sure that everything panned out the way my brain told me it would. Um, and I'm quite grateful that it did. Yeah, you uh, were pretty uh, prolific in posting about documenting the build out, which was pretty fascinating to me. And I'd like to start there because when we get past build out and get to how you operate, that's where it really starts to get uh, interesting. But yeah. Uh, but I know that on your Instagram handle at Happy Accidents Bar, you have um, in your in your archives all of the steps you guys went through to really DIY that space. You want to talk about that a little bit? It was definitely as DIY as it gets for a bar. Um, so my business partner Blaze and I have consulted on many a projects and and built bars for other people, um, never for ourselves. 
And we kind of took all of our, our learned experiences and also um, a lot of it had to do with budgeting. Um, you know, we opened the bar during the pandemic. Uh, we have one silent investor who's been very gracious to us and kind of just, you know, wrote us a check and said, pay us when you can, you know, just literally like pandemic, whatever, we'll figure it out. And they were really, really kind. Um, and the rest, uh, to be honest, is like uh, maxing out my credit cards. Like we 100% <laughs> did it ourselves. <laughs> um, so everything that we could do, we did ourselves. And that ended up actually ended up being everything. Um, we built the tables, we did the floors, we refinished everything. We did the bar top, we, uh, ripped out all the draft lines and redid those. Luckily, my business partner is, uh, a former engineer major and quite a, a genius master of trades. So I'm very lucky there, but we quite literally did everything. Um, my grandma was a, was an art teacher. Um, she was really into art. She loved Bob Ross, hence the name Happy Accidents. Um, so I grew up, uh, not only watching Bob Ross, but doing some painting myself. Um, the, the, I painted, we found things on Craigslist, mannequins, bodies, things, uh, kind of tacked them into the walls, painted them, mudded them, sanded things. Um, we have a very, it's a large indoor space, so we needed to soundproof and the, the quote I got from soundproofing was like $7,000, which was way out of our budget. So, um, I did I did some research and found uh, a K-pop recording studio uh, that had used AstroTurf as their soundproofing, and I ended up huh. going to yeah, it was actually it looks pretty cool too. But I I went to a a landscaper that does um, the golf courses around here and ended up getting their scraps uh, two truckloads. It was over like four months period collecting them for about $250 a truckload. And we, um, we covered the ceiling with AstroTurf, which actually ended up being one of the best soundproofings I've ever used in a bar and looks pretty cool. And people That's are always awesome. taking pictures of it. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was to say it was a labor of love is, um, an understatement. To, I mean, I think it's the only time it, it's just mine and Blaze's partnership to the max, um, you know, like trying to figure things out and, doing things ourselves. And what usually happens is I get these harebrained ideas like the astro turf or like these mannequins on the wall. And I go, okay, this is what I want to do. And then blaze goes, okay, how am I going to have, how am I going to figure out how to do this? Um, and then I keep telling him, oh, I know you can do it. You'll, you'll figure it out. You'll just figure it out. And he's like, you're kidding me. Right. Um, but we did figure most everything out. Um, our tables are made from breeze block, um, we do a lot of epoxy. So everything that we did, um, that looks like marble or crazy colors, we have a, mm -hmm. a epoxy pink, neon pink and purple floor. Um, we have a, a wall full of graffiti that, um, I, I'm a huge graffiti fan and I have a, uh, one of my favorite graffiti artists out of, uh, New York city is Adam Fu and he does a lot of really cool neon graffiti work and um I couldn't get him to come out as the pandemic so he sent me little tutorials and I I did my first graffiti piece on the wall which pat myself on the back turned out pretty well yeah, um yeah thank you so it you know all, all in all things fell into place and we were able to open the bar I, I wouldn't say under budget but um under maxing out my credit cards just enough to get the bar out we'll say it that way <laughs> um and yeah we opened in May yeah, I think it's also pretty incredible that you had the, I don't know, strength of will or just honestly, maybe even just strength 
after all of that DIY to 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 record it to you know put it up and, and hold on to it and it's really great to go back and watch over you know I was watching it as it was happening but yeah to, then then to see the place operational and to go back and kind of watch it again it's like wow these these guys really went all in yeah had I had the the hindsight you know hindsight whatever but had I realized I probably would have done a better job recording it because most of it was just like Instagram stories and sharing it with my friends because I knew they thought it was cool but now when people go back now that we've been open a year um, when people go back and look at it, they're like, holy cow, like you guys literally built this bar with your bare hands. I'm like, yeah, we literally did. I mean, we did, I did all of the upholstery. We built the booths, we built the tables. Like there isn't anything um, in there that we didn't do. Um, Blaze knows how to weld. So we welded things. Um, it, there's, I mean, we contracted, the only contractor we en- en- ever ended up paying and hiring was uh, a guy to redo our walk-in because the walk-in wasn't coming to temp. And that is definitely not my area of expertise. We had to put in um, new all the new electrical. We have a huge, huge walk-in because, as you'll learn later, we have a massive draft cocktail program. Um, so that was it. That was the only person we had to pay outside of ourselves. So the build-out ended up costing... Um, it was under $150,000 all said and done. And that Amazing. included all new equipment, all new kitchen equipment, everything that we did. Um, now, obviously, we didn't pay ourselves for the work and we did a lot of the work ourselves. Um, so we were really lucky in that. I don't know that a lot of people could have done what we did. Um, but yeah, we were real lucky. I've often wondered like how much time and effort it would take for me to like sidebar and go to a tech school and become an HVAC technician just to help out my bar and my <laughs> friend's bars. You know what I mean? Cause like, seriously, I fully like, support your, I fully support this by the way. Yeah. Cause I mean, just ice machines alone, you know, like, yeah. like cold drafts are always going down and like everyone's like yeah. freaking out. Like if I could just be that guy to help out, just to help out bars in need, you know, just like, just, I feel like that would be a worthy endeavor, right? But also, like to kind of expand on the DIY thing, like I'm a I'm a huge like fan of the state of New Mexico. I go there. I've been all over. I go there all the time. I I think I said before the show, my twin brother got married in Santa Fe, and like and just that spirit of like there's there's like a lot of kind of like DIY artistry going on in New Mexico. Like for instance, Meow Wolf, Meow Wolf, Santa Fe, yeah, I was saying Meow Wolf. People compare our bar to, to Meow Wolf a lot, yeah. which is awesome. Um, and also, I had never been to Meow Wolf before we built out the bar. So once oh, wow. I went there, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, hey. yeah, I got this. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, like, that's like when you were talking about that, I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of reminds me of like kind of like found objects. And like, yep. I, love, I love the AstroTurf thing. I'm going to do that in my my band's studio now <laughs> we've been trying to figure Honestly, it out like- it is so effective like even when we when we went into the space we threw all the astroturf on the ground just to like lay it out the room just got quieter immediately and we were like oh this is gonna work better than we even thought and those little panels those god-awful panels with the felt that they do for soundproofing they're ugly and they take and they're a expensive. lot of the- God, they're, they're expensive, expensive. And they yeah. take a lot of the height out of a room where, yep. you know, they, it's the whole point is having these great high ceilings and then it's just an echo chamber. So um, I don't know that I would ever be able to not do AstroTurf again. <laughs> That's amazing. Raise a glass to the to the K-pop uh, situation. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Who knew yeah, you'd be influenced to, by K-pop? <laughs> and to your local golf course guy, too. That's Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
I, so I, I just wanted one more question about the AstroTurf because you said that you got yeah. these scraps. Were they, uh, were they, did they come in tiles or did they just come in like weird they, shapes that you had to sort weird of Weird like... shapes for sure and rolls. So sometimes we'd get huge rolls. Sometimes we'd get, and the other thing is because um, we didn't, you know, and we were just getting what he had, there'd be different grades. You learn a lot about things when you build. And one of the things I learned is there's lots of different types of AstroTurf. There's different grades, there's different qualities, there's different thicknesses. Some of it would be like really thick and bushy. Um, so the ceiling kind of looks, what it reminds me of is it looks like when you're flying over uh, like the Midwestern states and you see like the little patterns and squares. So um, there was definitely a learning curve. We thought we would get big, huge pieces and put them up. But um, the strength that it took just for us to hold up pieces oh, yeah. and then you have to, you know, we have a 10-year a plaster roof. So first we thought a staple gun would work and that was like, no, it just fell right back down. So then it was, I mean, we went through like seven different times of different, you know, um, nail guns and different nails and different widths. And, and at one point, you know, Blaze would look at me and be like, okay, this isn't going to happen. We're going to have to pivot. And I'm like, we're not pivoting. Like, I'm not doing it. We, this is, it's going to happen. I'm going to make fetch happen. Like, it's going to happen. And um, eventually we figured it out. Um, and now we have a system for it. And then uh, my chef, uh, who is a former bartender from Silver Lion and New Orleans, she uh, moved out back. She was from New Mexico, moved away, came back. Um, she ended up really kind of enjoying the Tetris aspect of it. And she ended up fi finishing it off for us because it, there was basically you, we would work on the ceiling for a couple of days and we'd get completely over it. And we'd just stop and go on to another project until our minds could handle. And then we would go back and do a little bit more. Um, when she moved out here, she was like, Oh, I love this. And I was like, great, finish it. <laughs> yeah. Please. It's also exhausting. Like with your arms up, like in your neck cocked back, yeah. like looking up at the ceiling and, and holding things up. It's like, I've done some stuff like that before and it's like, it, yep. it, it's yeah. Short blast. Yeah. Scaffolding <laughs> is not, I don't like heights. So it wasn't my favorite job. Um, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm good. Thank you. You guys do this. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. But we also put like tons of quirky. I love quirkiness. I love random things. So one of the things I'm looking to do now is um, I want to I want to actually make it look like you're flying over and put like a couple little cows and like little farmhouses <laughs> out there. Um, I, I in one of the areas I have um, like an ivy river going through it, and uh, so I plan on building onto it and making it look even more funky than it already does. So like a like a you know, like an upside down diorama. <laughs> yeah. Yes. May I may I suggest a tiny scale replica of the city of Des Moines, Iowa? I think that yes. would really, really <laughs> go over <laughs> nicely. Just uh, perfect. Just, just for me, uh, my my flyover city of choice to to harp on Des Moines. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about before we take a break. Talk a little bit about the concept of the bar in general. Like, it, I, yeah. I, of course, of course, love the aesthetic and love all the DIY stuff you guys did. And again, I would encourage our listeners to go check out your Instagram and and look through the archives and see all this really cool stuff you guys did. But but I guess the, the undertone here to this question is why? What what, what yeah, was the, well, what was the, um, what was the driver? The the the. <laughs> The, the short word is the pandemic. Um, the long word is, you know, equity and profitability for independent bars. You know, I have done consulting the last 12 years. And as you know, Souther, um, bars just don't make money. Everybody thinks that bartenders or bar owners are like floating in this pool of, of green. And honestly, for for my experiences, unless you, um, you, you know, you're flying under the corporate radar, it's just not how it works. So 
Uh, we consulted in Santa Cruz for a couple projects there, and that's where we were located. And when that project ended, um, we had we wanted to do something for ourselves. And I love small market work. So my daughter lives here in New Mexico. Um, and honestly, the pandemic had just started and we couldn't afford to live in California. And it was like, all right, let's go to New Mexico. So we got here to New Mexico and I, and I wanted to open our own bar. Um, but the problem here in New Mexico is that liquor licenses are highly allocated um, and they cost about $350,000 to $400,000. They're treated like property. They're either handed down through generations. So if there's an independent bar that's had one, they've had it for a long time, or the corporations come and snatch it up because there's not many people who can start out with a $400,000 debt just for a piece of paper. Yeah, I would like to, can I just interject and put that that into perspective for the listener? You know, I'm in New York City where most of my operations are and and the licenses, you know, it it renews every year, but it's only five grand. Yeah. Uh, And they're not, and and they're not in short supply. They're not. And it's most places, the highest that you come across, except for places like New Mexico or Texas, they're, they're really, $10,000, $20,000. We're talking $400,000 for a liquor license here. And that's why the cocktail scene here is is not as prominent as it should be. That's why there's not a lot of independent places is because um, it's mostly your, you know, Applebee's and your Olive Gardens that can afford that kind of investment. Um, We just can't do it. So I kind of, I was talking to my liquor license broker um, and, you know, her and I were talking about whether this was even viable. Cause now that I've been doing the books and doing all of these, um, consultings, I, I just couldn't really see that it was a, a smart move to start out with that kind of debt. Um, then I was going to have to go find investors and then, you know, you're, you're really handing off all of your money to, to other people. So I kind of just was sitting around talking to her about licensing and she said, um, well, do you know, how, do you know how to distill? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, the, the craft distillers licenses here in New Mexico are 750 bucks. And I like, I was what? like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can you say that again? <laughs> like, what, did you forget a few zeros in a comma? Yeah. I, I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm sorry. Huh? And she's like, yeah. Um, you know, distillers licenses here are $750 and they all come with actually three tasting rooms. Um, what? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 250 bucks a bar. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And she's like, you know, you can distill. And I, and I'm, and I'm sitting there going, well, I mean, distillation isn't difficult, right? Like now, now let me say that like, there's one thing of home distillation or, or doing moonshine, like it's, it's a pretty easy science. But on the other hand, I'm not trying to say that we're master distillers, right? Like I'm not going to open up and be like, yeah, I make this amazing three month old whiskey that is just stellar. Cause we all know how that goes. Like you need to, you, you got to know the science. You got to know, there's a reason why master distillers are called master distillers. So I'm kind of like sitting, I'm sitting around playing with this idea of like, am I seriously going to start distilling? Like, I, yeah, I've, you know, I took bar five and I, I know the science of stuff. And uh, I grew up in Napa and I wanted to be a winemaker and I've, I've worked at wineries. You know, I used to shovel shovel grapes and I was a cellar rat. And I'm like, I, I mean, I, I know all this stuff. It's not that I don't know it. And then I'm thinking and I'm thinking and honestly, so here's here's where we go with this process. I'm thinking... Well, you know, High West, their whole thing was that they they purchase and they blend and we all know MGP, right? Like everyone knows MGP and mm-hmm. let's 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 real talk. We all know that there's the, you know, like 
there's vodka companies, Tito's, that, you know, purchase in bulk. Um, excuse me, I had something in my throat. Um, and who have been sued for saying that they, they distill everything when we all know. So everyone in the industry knows that distilleries buy from distilleries, right? Like we all know it. Um, it just happens. The, the craft distilleries that start out as whiskey distilleries, you don't open and then just have a five-year whiskey, right? Like I know consumers don't put those 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 two things together, but we all know that most of these craft small whiskey distilleries are probably purchasing from MGP and they're blending and they're redistilling or they're doing other things to it, but they're not actually coming out the gate with a four or five year whiskey. So right, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I want to no, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like MGP, yeah, MGP makes some of the best whiskeys in the world. Um, So I'm kind of like. I'm like, okay, I need to do some more research. And I start reaching out to bulk producers and I start doing some research on the laws. And I I, I actually, I'll be real honest, the TTB is, they're real helpful. They want to make money off alcohol taxes. So I called the TTB and I was like, okay, what can I do? And they're like, oh, you know, all distilleries can purchase from other distilleries. It's transfer and bond. Um, and you get it back and what you do with it, you know, you can, you know, redistill it, you can make one-offs, you can do whatever, you can blend it. And, and that's a distiller's license. And, um, so I spent, I was very lucky in my career that I got to spend a lot of time in Amsterdam. Um, and I worked with a, a, a Geneva company and I got to go out there all the time. And, you know, in Amsterdam, there are a lot of distillery bars. And if you really, st- if you know your history, um, a lot of bars back in the day started as blending houses. Um, you know, that's how kind of like Ray and Nephew and some of these rum, that's just how it was, is back in the day when there wasn't a three-tier and there wasn't all this stuff, um, bars got barrels from distilleries um, and they made blends and they made houses blends. And if you go to Amsterdam, there's still distillery bars back from, you know, there like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, if I have this craft distiller's license and I buy a still and we have a still and we do distillations, um, I can I can have the control that I want to for all of my spirits. I can purchase from any distillery in the world. I also have an importer's license, so I can import from any distiller or, I mean, like we import five different agaves from Mexico. I import Sotol, Bacanora, Recia, um, but I can do all of these things and I get it in bulk and I bring it to my distillery and I can make it taste the exact same way I want to for each cocktail. So I am, um, I call the TTB. I go through the, the whole program with them. You know, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's a go, go for it. Uh, and that's kind of where it started. It was, you know, my $750 craft distillers license, um, turned into what I call our distillery bar. So we are a craft distillery. Our quote unquote bar is a tasting room um, where, you know, you can come in and taste through our products and you can taste through them in straight form or you can taste taste through them in cocktail form. We have 100 draft lines. Um, they mirror each other. So 50 and 50. Uh, we have 72 cocktails on the menu right now, 36-ish of which are drafts. So for example, um, if I, you know, I purchase um, vodka or gin um, in bulk, uh, my gin comes in at like 192 proof. Um, for different cocktails, we re- redistill. So like I have a citrus gin. Um, we take our gin base, 
Uh, we add all of the things that we want to do to it. We redistill it. We, from that point, can proof it and go right into our kegs. Um, we can go into our bottles. We don't have a back bar. We don't have a, a huge thing. Our back bar is just 100 draft lines. Um, but we go right into our bottles and our kegs. Um, and each cocktail has the gin or the spirit in it that we have specifically designed for that cocktail. So if we want a higher proof, we, you know, proof it down to a different proof. If we want, um, I also have, so in the back, I have barrels and barrels of whiskey. I have, you know, hundred percent rye barrel. I have hundred percent corn barrel. I have a percent weeded. I also have a, a bourbon blend. And for each drink that we want, say we want 5% more rye, we add 5% more rye. If we want it, you know, a lower proof, we make it a lower proof. Um, and basically the bartenders get to go back and distill whatever the heck they want. If they're like, Hey, I want a lavender gin. They're like, cool, go in the back, grab some gin, throw it in the still with some lavender and poof, we have a lavender gin. I mean, I have so many questions here, just even, <laughs> even, even on how, like, first of all, the savings of money, you saved like, <laughs> you saved like $399,000. Uh, and then of course yes. the, the education level that your team is getting from getting to do this stuff, the experience that they're getting to have with this stuff. It's incredible, but we do have to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back and keep talking about this fascinating bar, Happy Accidents with Kate Kerwin. We'll be right back. Hey, Greg, I hear you're going to Nashville. When's that? You bet I am, man. It's next week. Uh, I'm going down there for World Class, brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. I'm going to be going to the U.S. Finals, talking to some people, drinking some drinks. You know, it's a, it's a hard life that I lead, Southern, but someone's got to do it. Man, I love that for you, and it's going to be great. You know, DiageoBarAcademy.com focuses on representing the global bar community with diverse content created by experts and enthusiasts from around the world, championing the passions of bartenders, upskilling those new to the industry, and supporting owners and operators to solve problems they face in their bars and restaurants. You should join the community of Diageo Bar Academy today. Absolutely, man. And, you know, if you've been listening to this show for a little while, you've heard us banter about Diageo Bar Academy on this podcast. But, you know, we, we keep doing it because it's it's totally free. Like, I just can't get over that. The fact that it's a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and really anybody who's in the hospitality industry. Yeah, or even hospitality adjacent. You know, enthusiasts can join along, too. Education is great for everyone. Um, you know, so whether you're an experienced bartender looking for new inspiration and, and trends, or you're just starting out, I think Diageo Bar Academy is the place for you. Absolutely, man. And you can find everything that they do, all the great courses, all the e-learning uh um, courses, all the master classes, you can find those at diageobaracademy.com. Go there to build your skills, uh, train for it, whether you're a newbie or a bar professional, and you can even become a member for instant access to their global bar program. So don't wait. Go to diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com today and check it out. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. 
Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And goddamn, I'm really missing New Mexico right now. Um, we've got Kate Gerwin in the studio today, and we've been talking about her awesome distillery bar, Happy Accidents, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And wow, this is this is inc- like I'm seriously like, <laughs> yeah, my I've been talking about open. <laughs> yeah, I've been talking about moving to New Mexico and opening a bar for a while, and now I know how. Um, this is yeah. this is a crazy amount of information that like this is very important. Like you've done a lot of work to you've cracked the code here. It seems like so. Let's continue talking about this. We we're, uh let's pick up where we left off. Right? You you have a hundred uh, taps, uh, um, hundred draft lines. Um, you've got a distillery in the back. If you want to make lavender gin, you just go make lavender gin. Um, yep. This is this is incredible. So I one question that I have for you is that. Um, to have this distillery bar license, is there a certain quota of product that you have to sell? Um, not sell. You actually don't have to sell anything. Produce, yes. Okay. So the idea of you having to sell something would be like um, if you, you know, if we're making whiskey and aging it, we would have to sell it, and that's that's actually not how the TTB runs. They don't really care about how much you sell. They care about how much you produce. So we have to produce 500 mm. gallons a year, um, which is actually in the grand scheme of things, not that much. Right. I, I had that much to drink this morning. <laughs> Same. Yeah. So, I mean, so we, we, we already did our first renewal and we were able, I mean, we, we produced way more than 500 gallons. We were wondering how close we would get to that, but um, we, we far su- succeeded that and that wasn't a problem. And we, we were relicensed and they came and they inspect your facility and they look at everything and they're like, Oh, okay, cool. You guys are distilling this and this is what you're doing. And there's all your barrels and cool. Thanks. Bye. I mean, I have so many questions, and I'm going to start with, with this one. So, well, it's a two-parter. You have to make everything that you sell. Is that correct? Um, we yes. I mean, so we you do. Want, if you want to make a Negroni? You've kind of got to make your own Campari, right? Yeah. So that's that is definitely the 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 hard part is that we can, so I have a beer and wine license. I can I can purchase uh, fortifieds and uh, fermented. Uh, but I cannot purchase anything distilled unless it comes directly from a distillery. So I can't go through and buy Campari unless Campari wants to start selling to me. Now, should Campari, and this is this is my hope, is that more of our independent sector starts doing this because more people are actually being willing to work with us. Uh, Beam Centauri, I just talked to them and they're like, yeah, we, we want to start selling you guys barrels. So anyone can 
in fact, sell direct to us. It's whether they want to or they're willing to. Right. Um, if it's worth their time and effort. If it's worth their time and effort and energy. So anyone that's producing Amaros or, or producing, you know, herbal liqueurs or things like that, give me a call because <laughs> yeah, I'm all sure. about that life. Um, because I, I do love, I love that idea that, that the larger, the more people that are doing this, the more distilleries are going to, and, and if, you know, with the supply chain issues and glassware shortages and all of the things in the cost in bottling and the cost for distilleries, um, you know, Philip Duff used to do a seminar, uh, where he would break down how much it costs to make a bottle, how much it costs to bottle it, how much it costs to go through the three tier system and how much it costs for, uh, bar owners to buy it. And then he would break down the percentages of like, you know, distilleries make like 30 cents and then, you know, bar owners make like, you know, a couple bucks and then here's where all the money goes. Um, and I, you know, it's not that we're, you know, the three tier system is always going to be here. Like I, I, I get it. I understand, you know, I don't, I don't love it, but you know, there's, there's Costco's and Applebee's and grocery stores and they don't have the, they're not going to become distillers. Um, this for me is a way for the, the, you know, two to 7% of the independent cocktail bars to not only have the control over their spirits, but to work directly with the brands that we love so much and be able to work with them and put more money in their pockets. Um, importing, um, our agave spirits are the farmers and the, the plaqueñas and distilleries that we work through in Mexico make more money off of selling to me than they ever would off of bottling and selling to the big boys. Um, so it's enabling people to put the money back into the pockets of the people who really hit hard in the pandemic mm -hmm. and not able to sustain their businesses or pay their staff or have equitable places to work because we're all struggling to cramble, you know, to get every penny out of this two to 12 percent profit um, that bars have been stuck, you know, and then, of course, now even smaller rents are climbing, rents are atrocious. I mean, our insurance is atrocious as it is, let alone mm. all of the the money that's put in all these different places. Yeah, it's it's astounding. And it seems like you've found a good niche way in, in your state anyway to, to kind of, uh, I don't know, cut past some of that and, and put more dollars in your pocket as well as your team. And I want to come back and talk about that as well. But my second part of my question was you have to make everything, but you're a distiller's license and you have a tasting room. Can I come to your bar and buy a bottle? Yes. And I can walk off with it. Yes. So you're on premise and off premise. Yes. Uh, and do you do what? that? Uh, yeah, we no, do. Crazy, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> we do. I love that very delayed. What? <laughs> yeah, we can also we can also um, literally bottle right off our tap, um, our drafts. So you know, we make five, six different milk punches. We have you know gin and tonic on draft. You can just come in, and I can bottle a gin and tonic bottle, and and you can walk out the door with it. Of any size, I can get a half liter, I can get a liter, yep. whatever. Amazing. Yep. Uh -huh. Great. Bring your growler in. We'll fill it up off the tap. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and then, again, uh, kind of circling back to what you touched on and I touched on as well, with this sort of, I don't want to call it savings, but with this extra margin, uh, you are able to do something that is kind of still unheard of in our field, and I'm, I'm striving to finally you know, get in that direction with my own company. You can pay a higher wage, offer yep. full, full health benefits, and paid time off, which is completely unusual in our field. And I'm sure that's helped during the pandemic because you know one of the things that I've certainly had troubles with, and I'm sure Damon has too, is uh, retention and, and, and staffing. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole point um, was to be able to open a bar and create a space where people were valued and um, 
we would never be in the situation during the pandemic where uh, we were worried about the livelihood of our staff. So how they were going to put food in their mouths. And um, we, everyone gets a living wage. Um, everyone gets, you know, we have health insurance. We have, we we try and make the business as equitable as possible. And after a year, we open um, positions up to um, profit sharing. Um, and then we also offer partnership. Um, and as we grow, as like, um, I'll get into in a minute, we're actually looking for another location. Um, our goal is that our bartenders become owners and they become partners in what we're doing. Um, I, I, I was a consultant for many years and I was I always promise the world, you know, help us open this bar and one day you'll be a partner. And like, you know, I opened a bar in, in North Dakota and I was there for four years and every year it was, well, next year we'll make you partner. Well, next year we'll make you partner. We just want to do this and next year we'll make you partner. And then um, it never really happens or you're never really, I made a lot of people a lot of money. And at the end I was just their bartender. I was just the person that was, you know, making mm -hmm. some drinks for them. And, and, um, I don't ever want my staff to feel that way. And I, I'm a bartender at heart, you know, like I'm, I, people are like, Oh, you're a businesswoman. You're not a bartender. I call myself a bartender till the day I die. Cause that's who I am. And that's what I am. And I want all of my bartenders to be able to, you know, I, I want them to work to, so that they can thrive, not just so that they can survive. So the goal is that as we grow, Every bar we grow with, our bartenders become partners and they have equity and they have value and they realize that their work is important and that it will pay off. Um, so the goal is that, you know, they're all part of the team, part of the part of the plan. Our our next phase is actually um, so when I started this, I really thought I would just own bars. Um, and I would I was like, well, we'll get three more bars out of it and maybe we'll do this. And as as I'm realizing that the distillery aspect of it is is so exciting and the bartenders love it. And, you know, RTDs are just on fire right now. Mm -hmm. um, our next location, we're looking for a warehouse so that we can buy a canning line um, and start doing RTDs. And our cocktails will basically get canned now. Um, and the bartenders can basically, and, and since we'll have our own canning line, bartenders can come in and you know we have a drink that works well and they'll they'll go bottle it can it and send it out the door and not only will we have the aspect the opportunity for people to come into the tasting room and try all the cocktails that we can um you know we can also not only just sell in our state if we the the hope and the goal is that maybe by 2024 we'll go national and be able to actually you know you, you'd be able to have just our line of drinks on our menu anywhere else you want to drink amazing Wow. I mean, that's incredible. You know, a lot of people out there, Kate, are, are making room at the table for people. A lot of people are building a longer table. It sounds to me like you're just building a whole new kitchen um, <laughs> to, to service that table. I don't know how to even think about all this. It's incredible. Well, you know, the, the people that work for us make us who we are. And I, I don't in any way, shape or form believe that this is just me. Um, you know, Blaze and I, Blaze was, Blaze, my business partner, Blaze, um, he started working for me when he was 19 um, and he was um, a server in my restaurant. And then, um, you know, he became a bartender where I worked and then he became my bar manager. And after 12 years, he became my business partner. Um, I he's he's a little more quiet, a little shy, but I don't in any way believe that where I got where I was, if it wasn't for the help of the people who have lifted me up and supported me. And if I don't give back to them, I just don't really feel like I deserve what I'm getting. So my investors are some of the, the coolest and most genu genuine people you've, you'll ever meet. And when 
we did this concept and we, they gave us, you know, the money to open the bar. Um, I kept asking them what they want in return. And they said, we just want to see you succeed and we want to see you pay it forward. So in my mind, if I'm not paying it forward, then I'm not doing a service to them and what they've given me. Um, and honestly, as anyone I think who's ran a business knows, you're, you're not who you are without the people that work for you. And if we don't start valuing the people who work for us, That's we're, we're not, we're just absolutely not right. It. Absolutely yeah. right. This is awesome. Also, I mean, first of all, I, one one thing, I can't believe that a guy with the name Blaze Montana is a quiet guy. <laughs> he um, is. <laughs> he is. But second, yeah. second, I would open a bar with you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm always down. Yeah. I, I want so there there are so we had a, a lawyer do some research. There are many states that you can do this concept in. Um, the the main thing is what your tasting room of a distillery bar allows you to do. And if you actually look, you know, like Ryan maybe um, at Rieger, they have a bar in their distillery. Now their their focus is is distilling and not that bar, but there are lots of states in the United States where this concept um, is absolutely fit, pug and play. And it just takes doing a little bit of digging and asking the right questions. And honestly, like I said, the TTB was really helpful. They 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 were 100% on board with making sure that we did this. We did it correctly. Um, we, you know, followed all the laws because for them, you know, they're just getting more tax money. <laughs> like they're not upset mm-hmm. about another distillery opening up so that they can make some more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just wanted to make sure that we were following the laws and following the guidelines. And at any time I had a question, I call it the TTB and they'd be like, this is what you can do. This is what you can't. Simple. Yeah, that's pretty big. I think we sort of vilify the TTB sometimes in our field. And right. yeah, it sounds like they're pretty helpful when it comes to the, the big stuff. I think they the were. Next, I think the next step, though, Kate, is, uh, you know, great. You've got this information uh, and now, you, you know, you're willing to share it. And how many people would step on board and do this? Um, because I think it takes a certain type of person who says to themselves, I'm willing to um, operate a bar at this level where I have to literally create things to, you know, create the spirits themselves to make drinks with. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that's a, that's a certain type of personality and you have it. And that's kind of where I say, like, we're not we're not going to take down the three tier, right? Like, you know, like um, Applebee's is going to start distilling. Like there, you know, we all, I remember, we all, remember when we all thought it was cool and we all started making our own Campari and we all started to try and make our own, like every bartender that I know in, you know, the, the uber dorky cocktail bars, we've all tried to make our own things, you know, like it was, it was a stage that we all went through. Now I can honestly say, uh, you know, we make our own, uh, not compare. We make our own Italian bitter liqueur. It will never, I, in my mind, will never shine close to Campari. Campari is an iconic spirit. I love it. I, mine is good. Um, they have their secrets, and that's the reason why they're the masters at what they do. Um, so there's that. I mean, it's not that I'm I'm thinking that our, our now we have a, a fabulous Negroni on the menu. It's freaking delicious. I have people tell me all the time, you know, this is probably one of the best Negronis I've ever had. But I always will, you know, kind of take a, a sidestep and be like, yeah, well, Campari is Campari for a reason. Um, chartreuse is chartreuse for a reason. But that doesn't mean that we can't do what we do. And it, it just makes us more unique that we're doing the things we do. We do make... Um, our own, well, not to, we make our own haparol, right? Like happy accidents, but we make, we make a lot of, um, kind of fun one-off things. And the, the cool thing for the bartenders is 
when they have a cocktail idea or they have an idea that they want to put a drink on the menu, because we encourage all of our bartenders to have space on the menu. Um, you know, they'll come to me and they'll say, okay, I, I was thinking about this, this, and this. I'm like, cool. How are you going to make it? And then they get to go research. And for most bartenders, especially the, the, the younger bartenders that are kind of like, you know, trying to make a place for themselves, they actually really enjoy the idea that they get to create their own spirits to go in their own cocktails. I mean, this is a hundred percent control for them. Do they want a higher alcohol? Do they want a lower alcohol? They're looking for a crusher. Are they looking for something that's like, you know, easily accessible? Do they want something boozy and stirred? And by the time they're done, they've, they've literally had their hand in everything from distillation all the way up. It's incredible. And I think uh, that, that would certainly encourage you know, someone like me to come in and work at that bar. And again, like I said, I'm sure it helps with retention to. I mean, we have, we have Patrick Braga um, who moved out last year. He was, um, you know, bartender for seven years at Paper Plane in, in San Jose. Um, and he had, he was honestly hundred percent watching my social media feed and he reached out and he was like, Hey, uh, this is really cool. <laughs> like yeah. I kind of want to move. Um, I can't name names, but I have a bartender from the East Coast who, after Tales, will be packing up and coming out. Um, and I'm pretty excited that people, as word is spreading, people are realizing what we're doing. And they're like, I kind of want to be a part of this. Like, who to thunk Albuquerque, New Mexico was going to be the place that bartenders were moving to. But um, I'm here for it. Yeah, you need to. Um, I mean, I don't know if you are this year. Are you doing a, 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 a thing at Tales? Are you going to get up and talk about this? Uh, I'm not, <laughs> not, not, I mean, I, I'm not mostly just because, um, I, I didn't really, so I didn't talk about it too much when we first opened for one, I wanted to make sure it worked. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that everything we were doing, you know, was, was following all the TTB laws. We were, we were doing everything we needed to do. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't stepping on toes so much that people were going to come in with big lawyers and say, okay, this isn't, this isn't going to work for us. Right. I was worried about the big brands. Um, the good thing is, is that, you know, for the most part, all of my, we have friends that work at all of these places and they all want like in the end, all these guys do want us to succeed. And if we're still going to be able to buy their product and we're still going to be able to work on this stuff and, the, and we're not shutting anyone out. Um, everyone has been really supportive. At first, I couldn't get anyone to talk to me about it. And after being open for a year, I, I now have some big boys that are looking at me going, okay, I see, what, I see you. I see what you're doing. And we like this. And we want to be a part of it. Because all it's going to do is help support the industry that we give a shit about. And it's important for me that people don't think that we're like, we're here to shut anyone down. Right. Um, you know, our, the, this, the small percentage of us that can pull this off isn't going to affect um, what people think it is. It's not, you know, we're not taking down anything. It's, it's just enabling us to thrive in the area that we should be able to. And honestly, when you really, if you know your, your cocktail history, this is taking us back before prohibition. This is how yeah. it was done back then. Sure. Um, so it's nothing new. I didn't, I didn't recreate the wheel. I just found an old one. Yeah. You just, uh, uh, you know, surfaced one, you, you, you dug it up. Yeah. What, what, uh, what are, what are, what's the response like from the public? Are you getting some, uh, it's, good... it's amazing. So I very, very rarely have, now we do have people who come in and say, you know, can I get X, Y brand this and this, and we'll say, nope, uh, you know, we're a distillery, but this is what we do, blah, blah, blah. And I've never had anyone go, oh, well, I don't want that. Um, so like we have a, a whiskey cola on draft. We make our own cola syrup. Um, and I tell people when they come in all the time, you know, oh, you like, you know, 
XYZ and Coke, uh, try ours and I'll, I'll probably ruin you for any other Coke you ever had, you know, <laughs> rum and Coke, whatever you've ever had. Because, um, the, the other cool thing is I've always done draft cocktail programs, but the waste on draft cocktail programs is hurtful when you literally take a case of booze and you throw it in and you just literally have just thrown these bottles away. Um, we, in, in the time that we've been open in a year, um, the only bottles we ever throw away is our vermouth and our sherry bottles. So we have quite literally thrown away 10 cases of bottles in a year. Um, we have, we don't ever throw bottles of whey. Our, our waste is so low. Um, our landlords had told us when we moved in, you're going to need to get another dumpster. Um, the last restaurant had a second dumpster and I'm like, we won't. And we don't, and we had never, never had to, we also compost, but, um, We've never really had to, to worry about the bottle waste um, because everything goes right into our kegs. We go straight, pretty much straight from like barrel to keg. Um, and then our our whiskey cola on draft, you know, we don't have post mix. We don't have soda guns. Uh, the, the whiskey goes into the keg. So it's cold. It's charged. The whiskey has dissolved CO2 in it. Our whiskey cola is completely effervescent. It stays cold the whole time. It stays bubbly the whole time. Even I tell people all the time, our vodka soda is the best vodka soda you'll ever have because it, you know, it's not getting watered down. It's not sitting on crushed ice. It's not uh, on ice. It's not room temperature vodka being pulled poured over uh, with a little bit of soda from the gun. It is literally cold as it comes out and hits that ice because it's coming out of draft. So our highballs are some of my favorite. I love our gin and tonic. I love our whiskey soda, and they're easy and. Um, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it too much for everybody, but if you, the cost of goods sold on a whiskey soda, for, uh, excuse me, a vodka soda for me, um, you know, my, my vodka can come in, I'll just say it can come in at under five cents an ounce. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> All oh right, my then. God. All uh, right. We're definitely opening a bar together. The, uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, um, yeah. Unreal, uh, Kate. And the yeah. thing is where you, you, you're so excited and excitable and can hear it in your voice. It's palpable. Uh, and man, we're excited to keep talking to you about this, but we're out of time. Um, I think gents, if you'll agree, we got to have Kate back on to continue this conversation. And yeah, soon, for sure. right? we're going to invite you back. Yeah, soon. Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to come to New Mexico. There's so much we didn't get to this in this episode person. that I want to talk about. Yeah. And, and I, this is, this is how, like, this is how I know this is a great, I, I've done this interview, but like my, my jaw has been on the floor the entire time. And I can tell yeah. it's been great talking to you because one of the things that we said that we wanted to talk about is how much we hate Google reviews. <laughs> and taking shit on online reviews is my favorite thing in the world. And the fact that we didn't get to it and the fact that yeah. I don't care about that at all because I've just been fascinated this entire time tells me I'm like, wow, this is this has been this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, guys, as the curtain of the pandemic is uh, finally peeling back, I think it's uh, this is a this is a trip worthy interview. We should go to Happy Accidents and sit down with Kate and talk to her there. Let's I'm, do it. I'm already going. Like I think uh, in August. So yeah, let's yeah. let's plan a trip. I'll together. see you, hey, Kate. We're, we're all on the West <laughs> Coast please, please. anyway. Layover. Just saying. Yeah. 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 Southern, yeah. you and me, just like yeah, accidentally good. be like, "Oops, geez, I got bumped. What a shame." A happy accident. There um, you go. Well, Kate, uh, people can follow along with your hijinks at Alchemist Kate. Uh, that's you personally, but then of course, Happy Accidents Bar on Instagram. And again, I highly encourage people to go check out your archived uh, stories about the DIY aspect of opening the shop up in the first place. Really a pleasure to have you on. And I look so very forward to seeing you this year in New Orleans. Um, and thank you so much for your time sitting down with us on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 
Right on. So, yeah. So cool. So cool. So much good. Not yeah. a lot of bad. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe it's like, like I'm just thinking about like 10 cases of bottles being recycled for a whole year. That's insane. Yeah. And I, I don't even like, like, like that's my recycling at home is more than that. Like right. every week. <laughs> I, I'm so not even joking, man. Um, but yeah, so yeah this, back here. <laughs> so much cool stuff. Thanks again, Kate, for being on the show. And thanks for everyone uh, to, for listening to the speakeasy on heritage radio network. Um, check out many of the other shows on the station. Uh, go to the website, click on the beating heart to donate to us, to keep us going. And until next week, cheers, everyone. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.